0: Thank you, Kevin, for shepherding us in prayer, and welcome to you all. It's Labor Day weekend, allegedly. And so, uh, church family and dear friends who are watching online, our theme for this morning as part of our series on loving and serving Christ's church is about work. What is the work that God has given his church to do? What is our responsibility as a church? What is the work that we are to be about? That's going to be our focus this morning, and the title of our exposition is The Working Church. Are we a church that works? And I mean that in every sense of the word. Do we work? And do we work? And so I want to take you to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to begin with. In John four thirty four, Jesus' disciples are worried about Jesus, that he has been working so hard he hasn't had anything to eat. And Jesus responds to them by saying, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And then if we fast forward to the night before Jesus was crucified, what does Jesus say to his heavenly father? In John 17, 4, he says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished what? All the things that were on my bucket list, making it to Hawaii, all those different things, jumping out in the parachute. And we said, I, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Brothers and sisters, we do not have a lazy or slothful Lord and Savior. We have a Lord and King whose love always works. Jesus was always working hard, and he was working hard to do his father's work, from creation to his earthly father's carpentry workshop. God did not send his son to be in a privileged palace to live a lifestyle of the rich and famous, He was placed in a carpenter's family, which included probably stone and brick masonry, where he worked with his hands and did what we would call and look down on as blue-collar work. Jesus worked hard, brothers and sisters, all the way to the cross. And he worked to the point of hunger. He worked to the point of exhaustion. He worked to the point of death. And in John 6:27 Jesus gives us this command. He says, "Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of man will give to you." As we walk through the rest of the New Testament, we see, brothers and sisters, that Christ commands his church. He commands His citizens. He commands those who profess to be his disciples to work both hard and sacrificially like him. But the good news of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is his work is different from the world. His work is a work of God that is gracious and it is powerful. And it always accomplishes everything that God has promised. The good news of God's word, brothers and sisters, is our Lord and Savior is, was, and always will be a finisher. He always finishes the work that he has begun. And that's our hope as believers, that he is going to finish the good work that he has begun in our lives. So, brothers and sisters, when it comes to the work of the gospel, how do we work in any different way? How do we quit? How do we not carry through? How do we carry on as if someone else has been paid or hired to do the work? It's just contrary to everything that the gospel stands for and the gospel that has saved us, the good news of what God has done to save sinners through the death of and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And what the Apostle Paul points out for us as we come to Ephesians is it is this same work that has built the church. Not the work of men, not the work of a major organization. It is the work of God in and through his Son, Jesus Christ. This good work that Christ finished on the cross that we're going to celebrate later today in the Lord's table. This is what saves lives. This is what grows Christ's church. This is what builds Christ's church. And there is, brothers and sisters, only one church and only one way to build a church that belongs to Jesus. And that's to build it by his work and by his grace. And that, brothers and sisters, is really our hope and our joy. What we look forward to as Christians, that what we are a part of and what he has brought us into is not the work of everything that we see in our entertainment and newspapers and the world around us. It is something completely different, far more wonderful, gracious, and good. And so this morning, we are returning to the Apostle Paul's epistle to the Ephesians. Could I have my next slide, please? Thank you. And the big truth for today that we go through, it sort of bridges what we talked about last week, and it's what you see up in the screen. Because the church is God's masterwork or masterpiece of grace in Christ. This is what we talked about last week. The church, or at least the church that belongs to Jesus, is God's work in Christ. It's a gift of grace. Because of that, the church, which is described as the bride of Christ, she strives for the gospel, and that means she toils hard to the point of exhaustion, fatigue, and even death. She toils hard for the gospel. How? By God's grace. And this raises the question, brothers and sisters, what or who are you working for? Are you working hard for the gospel? Are you working hard for the gospel in your own strength or by God's grace? And of course, these two come together to say, are we really part of Christ's church? Because by definition, if we are part of Christ's church, we're a part of his work. And that means as Christ works hard, to continue to build his church through saving one soul at a time and bringing them in, we are, praise God, a part of that good work. And this morning as we return to the God-breathed words of the Apostle Paul's epistle to that local church in Ephesus, the Apostle Paul walks us through in chapter 3, which is where we're going to go today, to a description of the work that he does as an apostle he gives us an outline, a testimony of his calling as an apostle and the responsibilities of the work that he has as an apostle. And as he walks through his job description per se, he highlights four responsibilities of grace that not only belong to him, but they belong to every true child of God. And when we say a responsibility of grace, we mean this is a privilege. This is a gift by virtue of being saved, by virtue of being forgiven of his sins, by virtue of being united with Christ. God has given him, it's a gift, these four responsibilities. Now, children, because we shut down children's ministry the first of the month so that we can be together as a church family and you can watch your parents participate in the Lord's Table, you're here today. And if you can tell me at the end of the sermon, those four responsibilities of grace, I will happily hand over to you whatever high choose I have. Now, parents, I want you to know I am not trying to bribe your children. I am trying to model and show them the value of the truth of God's word where I am willing to exchange earthly treasures for the sake of heavenly truths. And I hope you'll do the same. Have a look with me, if you would, to Ephesians 2. And we're going to go back a little bit to verse 19, and then our focus is going to be on 3, 1 through 13. Ephesians 2:19. This is the word of the Lord. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me, For you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. This, brothers and sisters, is the word of the Lord. On my very first job as a physician, the lead physician who hired me sat me down, and he explained to me his responsibilities as the lead physician in our office. Why did he do that? He didn't do that because he wanted to talk about himself or he had nothing to do. He actually did that, I believe, very much for my benefit. If we were going to work and if we were gonna work well together as a team, I needed to understand and appreciate what he did, his responsibilities. And I also needed, this was implied, to follow his lead. What he did directly affected me. And later, in our time together, one of the things I so appreciated about this man who was not a a Christian, but was very kind and mentored me in many ways, he let me know one time when I was struggling with an issue in the office. He came in one morning, he said, Mark, I need to take your problem more seriously. He said, you know, I was thinking about this last night. He said, if this issue is a problem for you, it's also a problem for me. I learned so much from that, brothers and sisters. And I think, how often do we think in the same way in the local church? That the person who's sitting next to you, their problem, if it's a problem for them, it's not, oh, that's your problem, you go figure it out. If it's a problem for them, it's a problem for you. Even more so than being connected in a job, we are connected in Christ. We're one in Christ. We're church family, and whatever happens to one is directly affecting the other. Even more so because of this spiritual unity that we have, brothers and sisters in Christ. And so as the Apostle Paul walks through his role and his responsibilities as an apostle, our initial take on this is, okay, well, what's this got to do with what we have to do as a church? I mean, I'm not an apostle, you're not an apostle, nobody needs to be an apostle, if you want to be an apostle, go somewhere else, right? Paul's already stated, all the apostles we need, God has given, and they are found in his word. And anybody who claims to be or aspires to be a a prophet or an apostle outside of the words of scripture is a self-deceiving, self-exalting fraud who is abusing power in order to benefit themselves. And we see here the Apostle Paul is doing exactly the opposite. He's showing how his role, what he's been given, he doesn't focus entirely on the authority. He focuses on all these responsibilities that are for whose benefit? For our benefit. For you. And so the Apostle Paul, as he walks us through these responsibilities, he begins in verse 1, he says, For this reason for this reason and when he says for this reason he's referring to everything that he's written in chapter one and two which is all about how god has created the church in christ how he saved these gentile believers and united them together with jewish believers and with the apostle paul how they're one in christ and for this reason refers to all of it but especially two verse 10 and 2 verse 14 where paul says for we You and I together, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we, you and I both, the Apostle Paul and the saints in Ephesus, should walk in them. He doesn't make a distinction. And then in verse 14 he writes, For he himself, and this is a reference to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, is our peace. Who has made us? This is the Apostle Paul and those Gentile believers, as well as the Jewish believers in Ephesus, who has made us both what? The claim is made that Sundays are the most segregated days in America, as churches gather according to our politics and our ethnicity. Jesus says, Here through the Apostle Paul. For he himself, Jesus Christ, is our peace who has made us both one. And with these divinely inspired words, the Apostle Paul shows the saints in Ephesus and he shows us what the good news of God's word is. Because of God's grace, by God's grace, believers are united with Christ. They're forgiven. The barriers are removed. The worst of sinners, or the chief among sinners, as the Apostle Paul refers to himself, removed, made new, given an entirely new life that's united with the Son of God. And because of God's grace and because we're united with Christ, we are united together with the Apostle Paul, and we're united together with his work. And we are united, brothers and sisters, to one another but the best part is we are united with Christ's work. That's the blessing of the gospel. Not that I have to earn my way to heaven, not that I have to try and clean myself up, not that I have to try and go and fix all my problems, but Christ has come and he has given me the work of the cross as a free gift for those who by faith will turn to him. Repent of our sins and say, okay, I'm going to do it your way. I'm going to trust in your work, not mine. And this, brothers and sisters, is the good work of God in Christ that builds Christ's church. And this brings us to our first point this morning. By God's grace in Christ, the church is part of God's gospel work. By God's grace in Christ, the church is part of God's gospel work. What is the work that you and I are called to? What is the work that every church is called to and every believer is called to? Are we to build hospitals? Are we to build missions? Are we to feed the homeless? Not that any of those things are bad. But brothers and sisters, if we forget the gospel, that's what it's all about. And it raises the question again, are we a part of Christ's church? If so, according to the Apostle Paul, We have been saved and we have been called by God's grace in Christ to be a part of his work, not ours. His work, not ours. And that work, brothers and sisters, is the work of the gospel, uniting sinners with Christ together and building Christ's church through the power of God's spirit and God's work. Every believer is a part of this work. No exceptions. There are not fans and then paid team players. Every child of God is a part of this work. And according to Ephesians 2, 19 through 22, which we read at the beginning, this work that every child of God is a part of is entirely God's work of grace in Christ. It means, as Kevin said earlier, it is undeserved. We do not merit it and we on our own are not able to carry it out. And it is God's work of grace for which there is only one cornerstone to set the direction. It's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And there is only one foundation, according to God's word, for this work. And that is the foundation of the apostles and prophets of God's word. We ask for visionaries. We ask for leaders. We ask for people who have great ambition for the church. But brothers and sisters, Derek Thomas makes the point. Jesus has only one plan. And that plan is his church. And in Ephesians 3, 1-13, the Apostle Paul goes on and he gives us an account of this foundation. He gives us an account of the foundational gospel work that God, by grace in Christ, has given to him. And because we're one in Christ, we are a part of this work. And in order to set the foundation and standard and direction for Christ's church, where do we find it? Well, this, I believe, is one of the reasons why the Apostle Paul is pausing here in almost like a parenthesis before he prays for the church to explain his ministry. He's showing us the blueprint of the work of grace God has given his church to do in his name. He's showing us the privilege and gift of what God has given us. And it's worth asking ourselves, is our church, is our work built on this same foundation? Is it built on this standard? What is the standard of the work? How do we measure whether we're doing a good job or a poor job at what God has called us to do. Well, in this text, the Apostle Paul, he shares four specific gospel responsibilities that set the standard for the work God has given his church to do. And the first verse one is the responsibility of being a prisoner of Christ Jesus. The second is the responsibility of being a steward of God's grace. The third responsibility is, verse 7, being a minister or servant of the gospel. And the fourth and final one is found at the very end of our passage. It is the responsibility of suffering for the saints. Everything we need to know, brothers and sisters, about our calling and the work that God has given us as children of God is found here. And children of the church, everything you need for a high-chew is found on this slide. So let's walk through them step by step. First, the responsibility of being a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Not by accident, the Apostle Paul. He begins this account of his gospel responsibilities and his apostolic responsibilities that have been given to him by God. He does so in verse 1. Where does he begin? He begins with the proclamation, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of who? You Gentiles. And then later, he closes out the epistle in 620. He describes himself as an ambassador in chains for what? For the gospel. The apostle's foundational responsibility is as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And it's a responsibility that bears witness to the Apostle Paul's unity with Christ Jesus, not as his friend, not as his buddy, not as his comforter, but as his Lord. It bears witness to his testimony with the work of Christ Jesus in the gospel. It bears witness to his unity with the people Jesus is saving. And that includes the saints in Ephesus. And as the Apostle Paul writes this letter, you'll recall he's writing it as a prisoner in Rome, episodically, literally being in chains and being chained to perhaps the Praetorian Guard in Rome at episodic times when he's being moved from place to place. And he's a prisoner in Rome because of his faithfulness in preaching the good news of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, people who were considered previously unworthy of a relationship with God. And it's worth noting, he does not write that he is a prisoner of Rome or a prisoner of Caesar. He is a prisoner of who? Christ Jesus. And the Greek word that he uses here that's translated prisoner is desmias. And desmias refers to a fetter or a chain that's used to restrain a prisoner. And typically it was tied around a prisoner's ankles. And it was either attached to a wall in the prison or it was attached to a prison guard to keep a prisoner from running away. To keep them bound to that prison guard. And you'll recall that prison guard was responsible for the prisoner who was tied to him with what? What happens when you lose that prisoner? Caesar's coming for your neck. You're gone. And so what's the result, brothers and sisters? Everywhere the prison guard goes, the prisoner goes. Whatever the prison guard has to do, whether he has to use the bathroom or go out and take a break, that prisoner is going with that guard. And if you're tied to a chain gang, brothers and sisters, you're not only tied to the prison guard, you're tied to everyone else who is tied and bound to the prison guard. It's a picture of our unity with Christ. Now that sounds terrible, doesn't it? Except that when we are bound to Christ, we're free from the world. And what good news is that? I'm no longer bound to my job. I'm no longer bound to the things of this world. I'm no longer bound to the pleasures and addictions that this world has to offer. I am bound to a Savior who is good and kind and gracious, whose yoke is sweet, and powerful and good whose burdens are light because he carries them with us so when the apostle paul says he is a prisoner of christ jesus the implication is he is never separate he is never independent of christ he is never separate or independent of christ's walk he is never separate or independent of christ's work he is never separate or independent of christ's authority and you know in romans 8 the Apostle Paul encourages us by telling us about how we can never be separated from the love of Christ if we belong to Him. There is no place in heaven or hell, wherever we are in the midst of our suffering, if we are bound to Christ, if we are saved by God, if we are by grace a child of God, we're bound to Him. Never separate. And then he proceeds to explain. that this being bound to Christ is not for Paul's personal benefit. Here's the interesting thing about his work. The apostle Paul is bound to Christ. He's literally in chains for being a child of God. He is bound because of the gospel on behalf of you Gentiles for the benefit of all who have been saved and united with Christ. Through the faithful proclamation of the gospel to the Gentiles. So, brothers and sisters, what is the primary responsibility and work of the gospel? What is the primary responsibility of the church by extension? It is that we would be bound to Christ. Christ died so that we could be united with him. So, why do we wander? And we think of people walking and how often are we bound to Christ and we're pulling in another direction, pulling in another direction because there's something on the street that we see, that we like. Well, I need to go here. I need to go here. And yet the mercy and grace that Paul comes and says, he says, this is by God's grace. By God's grace and protection and oversight for us, God's love and care comes when we are bound to Christ. Why? Because this is where the good news of Jesus Christ is. It's with Christ. And this is where his work is. It's with Christ. And this is where all the heavenly treasures that God has given and bound up with us. It's in Christ. And so the question is our delight in being bound to Christ. Well, it comes down to what is your treasure? And what do you value? And this brings us to the second responsibility of being a steward of God's grace. A steward of God's grace. In verse 2, the Apostle Paul writes, assuming that, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. In the ancient world, a steward was a household servant who had been given graciously. All or part of his master's estate to oversee, to manage, and to care. For, on behalf of his master. And this could include all his master's finances. This could include all his master's business. This could also include being a guardian of the master's children. And you'll recall in the Old Testament, the illustration of a steward was Joseph in Potiphar's house, where he was given everything in Potiphar's house to oversee, and then later became a steward for Pharaoh to oversee all of Egypt. Egypt. And then as we come to the New Testament, Jesus in his parables of the kingdom repeatedly talks about the role of a steward, the good and faithful stewards. They're left with a treasure. The master or king goes away and they're called to invest that treasure on behalf of the master. And when the master comes back, he holds them account for what they've done with his treasure. Brothers and sisters, what is the treasure that you are watching over? What is the treasure that you are caring for? What is the treasure that you are managing? For some of us, it's our jobs. For some of us, it's our 401k plans. For some of us, it's our family or our children. All good things, all things you do need to watch. But brothers and sisters, if that's all we are as a church, watching kids, watching investment plans, watching how much money is given in the offering, We've missed the good news of God's work. Here in verse 2, the Apostle Paul is reminding the saints in Ephesus the stewardship that the risen Christ personally gave to him on the road to Damascus is the treasure of the gospel. It's the gift of new life in Christ. It really is the gift of Christ's work. That this gift of Christ's work, of dying on the cross for forgiveness of sins, was given to the apostle Paul, the chief among sinners. But it was given to him as a steward, that he would guard it, that he would care for it, that he would cherish and treasure and value it, not for himself. But typically, stewards took care of the estate so that later, after years to come, when the master died and their kids came into the inheritance, the estate was bigger than it was before. It's for the benefit of God's adopted children in Christ. It's for the benefit of you and I. And so the Apostle Paul's faithfulness by God's grace, first he says, this stewardship, I don't deserve to have it. I shouldn't be the one to take care of this. I'm not qualified to do this. It is not by learning. It is not by going to seminary. It is not by serving in the church. Oh, I'm so wise. I know how to take care of this treasure. It's entirely by God's grace and his work of salvation, that he has made me worthy to care for this gift, Christ's work, and I'm to take care of it and present it intact and blessed to you all so that you can benefit as God's family. Brothers and sisters, it's why we labor so hard to rightly divide the word. It is why we hold fast on doctrine. It is why we come in and correct not only words that are contrary to the gospel, but lifestyles and actions that are contrary to the gospel. Why do we do it? Because we're trying to control? No, because anything contrary to the gospel is a counterfeit of the devil that is going to destroy your fellowship with Christ and destroy your fellowship with one another, your marriages, your relationships, your friendships in the church. And God has tasked us and said, this is life or death. How many of you would tolerate contaminants and poison in the food that you give to your children? 1%. 2%. 3%. No, we wouldn't. We'd say, throw it all out and start all over again. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, this is a privilege I have. This needs to be taken seriously. It's entirely by the grace of God. And then he goes on to show with specificity exactly what this treasure and this stewardship is. He explains in verse 3 to 5, this treasure is the mystery of Christ. The mystery of Christ. Now, in our world, mysteries are crimes that are concealed, right? That's our world. That's the darkness of our world. And in religions, mysteries typically are special religious secrets that only the elite know. But in the gospel and in God's word, when they refer to a mystery, they are referring to a divine truth that God has made known to everyone by his spirit and his word. It's a divine truth. And because it's a divine truth, we, as finite and sinful creatures, we can't know it, understand it, or learn it on our own. No amount of going to seminary is going to impart to you the mystery of Christ. A full appreciation and understanding where it transforms your life comes from God's spirit and his word. It comes by revelation. And in fact, the Apostle Paul explains in verses 3 to 5, I didn't receive this because I was a great and famous rabbi. I didn't receive this because I spent so many years serving in the synagogue or the temple. This mystery was given to me as a revelation by God. He's pointing out, not his elite status, he's pointing out that it's entirely God's mercy and grace in his life. It's God's kindness in his life that he is aware of the mystery of God. If God hadn't stepped into the Apostle Paul's life on the road to Damascus and confronted him face to face, the Apostle Paul would have continued as a blind sinner persecuting Christians. And then he goes on to point out in verse 6, he said, This mystery, what is it exactly? This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel that you all are saved and part of the church. This is the mystery of the gospel that God had planned in advance it's hinted throughout the Old Testament, but it is not fully revealed until the apostles and prophets of the New Testament. It's Christ's work, brothers and sisters, and the work that he accomplished on the cross and its benefit and blessing in our lives. And so this begs the question, brothers and sisters is that a sacred treasure worth dying for? Well, for Paul, it was. What is the sacred treasure that God has given, by grace, to every child of God to care for and to share with others? Is what we give to our co-workers an accurate representation of this treasure? Is what we share in our marriages, when times are difficult and hard, a faithful testimony that we are sinners who have been saved by grace? I look back at my work life, brothers and sisters, and I grieve and lament at how much I muddied the gospel with co-workers, right? But God is gracious and God is good, and he shows us those things and he exposes those things so we would look to him to say, you know what, we have been made stewards of something so precious and so good. Do we esteem and do we care for it and do we consider it in that way? Because that is going to affect how we handle it. And this brings us to the third responsibility of the apostles' gospel work the responsibility of being a servant of the gospel. A servant of the gospel. A steward is someone who guards and takes care of it. A servant is someone who puts that treasure into action. Verse 7 Of this gospel I was made. Of this gospel I was made. So this is God's work in putting Paul to work a minister of the gospel. And that word minister is diakonos, from which we get the word deacon. In the ancient world, what was a deacon? He was the official servant of the king, whose specific task was to care for the family of the king and the guests of the king at the king's table. How did he do that? By serving them food and taking care of their needs, which include pouring and covering their heads with oil, giving them basins to wash in, and even at times washing the guests' feet. This is the role of the deacon. And what is the task that God has graciously given the Apostle Paul in Christ? It is to feed and care for Christ's people. Everyone at the table. Not only the greatest, but the least. And what is it that God has given the Apostle Paul as a deacon to care for his people with great praise music a ministry for singles a ministry for pregnant mothers a ministry for young families a ministry for seniors those are all good brothers and sisters and we do need to care for all the members of the church but brothers and sisters The treasure that God has given, the Apostle Paul, the gift that he's given, the only thing that is going to bring forgiveness of sins, that is going to wash our sins clean, that's going to unite us with Christ, that is going to take the burden and the darkness of this world off and is going to enable us to walk in joy and in fellowship with Christ, is Christ's work, not ours. That's the treasure. And when the church becomes about our work, and all the things we do, and we forget about Christ's work. We've got it backwards, brothers and sisters, and we are trampling and burying the only thing that is going to feed and nurture and grow God's children and set them free. Brothers and sisters, what are you serving for dinner tonight? In verse 7 and 8, the Apostle Paul explains How this undeserved responsibility, once again, did not come from his efforts or his ability or his giftedness or his talented tasks. He says, of this gospel, I was made a minister or servant according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. What is the criteria and standard of the Apostle Paul's work? It is not his giftedness. It is God's grace. Brothers and sisters, the work of the church is to be accomplished not by our giftedness, and that doesn't mean we don't work hard, but what enables us to carry any task out that honors the Lord, from setting up tables to ministering to our wives to caring for our children, it does not come from our giftedness. It comes from God's grace. That is the standard. One brother who I've shared this with who was struggling, physically compromises, how do you serve? And to encourage him and give hope and to say just because we are weak does not mean we stop serving. Because God does not depend on our strength to save lives, to forgive sins, and to set prisoners free. It is his power and his grace that does that. And in fact, the Apostle Paul will go on in 2 Corinthians twelve seven through 11 to say, when I am weak, then I will boast that God works and loves and cares very frequently through the brokenness and weakness and frailty of his saints because that's when God's grace and power shines rather than the boasting in our work. And so the Apostle Paul says in verse 8, he says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, undeserving, not competent or capable, this grace was given. Brothers and sisters, do you ever feel disqualified for the work of ministry? For all those different reasons, what is the remedy? It is to look to Christ and to look to his grace and to look to his work on the cross. That is what qualifies a sinner to become a saint. In verse 8b he says, Though I was the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to do what? To preach to the Gentiles what? How great a Bible study we're doing next week? No, the unsearchable riches of Christ. The unsearchable riches of Christ. And he's talking about everything that Christ has done for his people. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. To show how all of these saints in Ephesus have been brought into God's eternal plan for his kingdom by God's grace. Brothers and sisters, what is the work of the church? It is to proclaim in your place of work, in your marriage, in your shepherding of your children, in your relationships, the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to demonstrate and be a testimony that all of this is given not because we're fantastic or we're qualified because we're not, but because Christ is qualified And his work is good. The Apostle Paul goes on to state what the purpose is for this. He says, So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. How amazing is that? You are the gospel made visible, not just for the people on this earth. But for everything in heaven and on earth, that so the angels can delight and look down and rejoice in one sinner being saved, and demonstrate and see and look at and marvel at the wisdom of God that comes through the cross that crushes all boasting of men. And he goes on to say, This was according to the eternal purpose, verse 11, that He has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access. With confidence. How? Through our faith in him. Trusting in him. And this, brothers and sisters, brings us to the final work or responsibility. He says in verse 13, he says, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. It's the responsibility of suffering. But suffering for what? The word he uses here is tribulation. That word tribulation means to be pressed, to be squeezed, to be oppressed, to be pounded down. And obviously, the immediate illustration is Paul's imprisonment, right? And everything he suffered. But what's worth noting is he's suffering not for his own personal benefit. He's not suffering for his sin. He's suffering because of his unity with Christ. He's suffering because he's a steward of the gospel. He's suffering because he is a servant of the gospel who is faithful to proclaim the riches of Christ to the Gentiles. He's suffering for the benefit of the saints and not himself. And the good news of this suffering, brothers and sisters, is this is a suffering that does not discourage. This is a suffering where you do not lose hope. Why? Because it brings Unmerited favor, God's grace and glory into the lives of others. All right, let's tie up. What does this have to do with all of us? This is the Apostle Paul. Pastor Mark, I'm not even a pastor. They at least pay you to suffer for Christ, right? I'm not a missionary. They at least pay you to do that, right? Well, brothers and sisters, if you're a child of God, I've got news for you. God isn't just paying for my paycheck. He's paying for your paycheck, too. He writes the checks. He just does it in heaven and it's stamped with Google or Apple or whatever else is out there. And that means if you're a child of God, He is paying for you to do the work of ministry. And He has put you in your place of work. He has put you in your marriage. He has put you in your neighborhood. And He is footing the bill for you to be there so that you can proclaim the riches of Christ, so that you can be a guardian and steward of the gospel. and maybe even be inconvenienced or uncomfortable because of your connection with Christ and your faithfulness to his word. Brothers and sisters, what's worth noting as you go through these apostolic responsibilities? Do you notice a similarity to the work our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ did for you and I? Our Lord and Savior gave up all his heavenly privilege to become bound to you and I and to become a prisoner on this earth, suffering humiliation and rejection, torture, and even death on the cross. He was a steward of the treasure of the gospel that God had given him to bring to his people here on earth. He was a faithful deacon and servant, washing our feet with the good news that salvation that God had promised was becoming a reality through his death on the cross for those who repent and turn to him as their Savior and Lord. And he suffered, brothers and sisters, not for his own personal benefit, on suffering to get through medical school, Oh, I'm suffering in this job so that I can retire when I'm 55. Oh, I'm suffering in this church ministry because they asked me to. No, brothers and sisters, he did it in love. He did it with joy. He looked forward to the joy that would come when his work would become a reality in your life and mine, and that is called the church. So that brings us to our final slide for this morning. How brothers and sisters are we called to love and serve the church. What's worth noting is that every one of those responsibilities the apostle Paul exhorts the members of the local church to participate in. If you have your Bibles have a look at Philippians 127. Philippians 127. The apostle Paul says in Philippians 127 he says only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for what? The faith of the gospel. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Verse 29, for it has been granted to you mine, a grace gift from God. This is God's big gift for you. That for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also what? Let me hear you say it. Suffer for his sake. engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Brothers and sisters, if we are going to love and serve Christ's church in the way He has loved and served us, we have to say number one, are we bound to Christ? Or are you bound to something else? Are you bound to Christ in your marriage? Are you bound to Christ in your work? Are you bound to Christ in your neighborhood, in all your hobbies and your activities, and whatever you do when someone's not looking? Is the gospel your treasure? Are you a steward of the mystery of Christ? Are you a servant of the gospel? Are you willing to wait on tables and do whatever it takes to feed God's people and lost sheep and whoever they are with the word of God? Who or what are you suffering for? Are you working for Jesus by his grace? Now let me add this, brothers and sisters, in this world you are going to suffer. No way you're going to get through living on this world at some point without suffering. But you are either going to suffer for yourself or your sin or your personal benefit. But the good news of Jesus Christ is, yes, we will suffer. But it is a suffering that does not discourage but brings hope. And it is a suffering that is for the benefit of others that blesses them with the grace and glory of Christ. Brothers and sisters, in a moment we're going to come to the Lord's table. And as we do so, first, I want to exhort you to think, how has Christ loved you? Has he been faithful? Has he suffered on your behalf? Has he been merciful and gracious to you? Has he given you things that you don't deserve? Chief of all, a place in his church and a relationship with his Father who is in heaven. If so, then rejoice and celebrate that. But be mindful, too, of the privilege and grace. Privilege and grace. How does Christ love his church? Well, the Apostle Paul is a testimony that he does it not through the gifted, but those who have been recipients of his grace, who in love, love the church and serve the saints with the same love that Christ has given us. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, what a Savior, what a work, and what a salvation. Lord, may we no longer work like the world, But instead, Lord Jesus, may we give to others the same gracious and good work, the work of the cross, that you came and died to give to us. In your name we pray. Amen.